This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Nothing is interesting unless it's personal. That's according to pastry chef, dessert innovator, and culinary influencer Stephanie Nass, also known as Chefanie. And she is, of course, correct. And she should know, having developed a culinary brand that is also a personal brand and carved out a fast-rising career at the intersection of food, fashion, and lifestyle. Coming up, you'll hear from Chefanie on creating an innovative product and new identity in today's food world. How an unexpected crazy idea can build a brand. She's the only one I've seen whose cookies match what she's wearing. How creativity crosses disciplines. What she learned about art. Her strong connection to her mother's kitchen. The dichotomy of women's roles and how women are still looked to for nourishment. And imagine this, could it actually be okay for women to return to the kitchen? And love it. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Stephanie is here. No, that's not a slip of the tongue. That is how my guest is known. Stephanie Nass is awesome. She lives at the intersection of food and fashion and lifestyle and fantasy. So Stephanie, even Martha Stewart hasn't done what you're doing. How do you how did you get started? Oh, my goodness. First of all, I just want to thank you profusely for having me today. It's such a pleasure to always see you, and I'm so excited to have this conversation recorded um, on this cool podcast. <laughs> um, I got started a long, long time ago. I earned my nickname, Stephanie when I was a little girl because I couldn't stop cooking and baking. The kitchen in our family was where everyone came together um, and represented such a happy place, and therefore that's where I always wanted to be. Um, when I was 16, though, I moved to France. I lived with a French host family in Western France in Brittany. Um, and that's where I started taking cooking lessons and really was able to articulate that I wanted to work in food for the rest of my life. (laughs) At Um, 16, you knew. Yeah. I just, it's all that I wanted to do. I was obsessed with cooking and learning about food and trying new foods and ingredients and understanding where they came from. So it was a great gift that I was able to travel and, you know, leave my comfort zone to figure that out. Um, And it's really led me to so much clarity on what I want to do now. What did your family think about this uh, career choice of yours? Well, after France, um, I went to college at Columbia here in New York. I studied art history and had a traditional liberal arts education. Um, my family was very proud that I, you know, went to this rigorous academic school. And when I told them about halfway through, I really want to drop out, they were like, absolutely not. Finish <laughs> school and then we'll see. <laughs> and so I finished school and still I knew I wanted to have a culinary brand, um, which is what I have now. I actually took on a, a normal office job. And then once after over a year of that, I was like, okay, now's the time. I mean, seize the day always. Um 
but I was just aching, aching to, to get started. So my parents, who sent me through school and gave me everything I had, were like, okay, if you want to be a cook, you support yourself as a cook. We gave you everything we could. So um, I don't know, you know, and my my dad's a lawyer and my mom previously worked in a bank and um, and then a nonprofit, so had really conventional jobs, professional <laughs> jobs, and they were just stunned. Um, that was like my parents by 40 years earlier um by my conviction about wanting to do this thing that was you know so seemingly outside my path honestly like after i started um after it started working they became my biggest supporters and still are today wonderful well you can add me to the list Because, Stephanie, honestly, I don't know anyone who does quite what you do. And I just wrote down a little note because of something you said, a phrase you said that I had never heard anyone say before with the intention to become a, quote, culinary brand. You see, when I got started decades ago, there were not many women in this industry, but people either were cookbook authors, maybe they were cooks, very few were chefs. Uh, maybe cooking teachers, and everyone fit into a very neat slot. I think over the last few decades, it has become more hybrid and morphing, and people are doing their own thing. But there is no one doing what you're doing. And I can try to explain it, but I think you will explain it better. But I just want everyone to realize that Stephanie is wearing this gorgeous tartan plaid shawl, and she handed me a cookie that she made with the same print on the cookie. Stephanie's cakes and confections match her clothes. Now, there is no one else who's doing that. So you uh, have your careers kind of divided into three areas. There's uh, Stephanie or Stephanie's sheets, not easy to say, and you'll explain what these sheets are. And then you have this kind of lifestyle catering company. And you also... What is the third branch of so, this? So Chefany is a culinary brand, which in my head, is, you know, makes a lot of sense and everything goes together. I understand if that's not the case because it's so many things it seemingly at once. Um, it encompasses product. So Chefany sheets, the decorative um, edible papers that you see in um, plaids and and all different patterns and colors and all the treats. So we also sell cookies, cakes, donuts, lollipops um, in these patterns. Um, services, so catering services, um, which keeps us really busy this time of year, the holiday season, and um, personality and media. So, um, you know, acting as the authority on um, entertaining and baking and cooking on TV or on social media or in print, um, and and also sharing all that content on on our digital platform, so chefney.com, and then on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, etc., Wonderful. I do have to say, uh, you know, I still have a flip phone. I don't text. I don't have an Instagram, but I hope to someday. But you do. And I think your Instagram account is one of the most beautiful I have ever seen. It's exciting. And I very often use the word swoon, the swoon factors. So anyone would look at your Instagram account and just swoon. Now, there was something on there that I don't think you did, but you were brilliant enough to put it up. And I believe you and I both had the same reaction to this pie, the yes. invisible pie. Yes. Tell us about From that. From Alinea. Alinea in Chicago, yes. that restaurant. Alinea in Chicago. So 
the 90% of what I post on social media is, you know, my own work, but whenever I'm aghast at something and feel it needs to be shared because it's so creative and original, I just do. And, you know, my strategy is just, you know, quality content that I find interesting. Um, but that is definitely in that category. And, um, I mean, thank you for bringing it to my attention oh my and gosh. everyone else who uh, I'm so follows glad you. you appreciated it yeah. as well. I, um, I'm just so inspired by what chefs all over the place are doing. Yes. Um, including pushing um, pushing the boundaries with that transparent. So for for those listening, yeah, what it's is a it traditional exactly? pie. Sh- imagine a pecan, a, a pumpkin pie, a traditional pie shell, and then not and then within the pie shell is not pumpkin puree, but this like jello clear colorless jello that is infused with pumpkin flavor and tastes just like pumpkin pie. Wow. Just so it looks like glass or crystal glass. Um, and, and I, and, and that is possible also because all the technologies that are available, um, that didn't exist, you know, a long time ago. Well, what do you think about this saying, uh, not so long ago, a really great chef said, quote, creativity is a weapon in the wrong hands. What, what are your thoughts about that? I think it absolutely could be um, – creativity could definitely be a weapon in the wrong hands. I mean you read, read the news and I just – I sometimes read the news and I ask myself, how could people even think of this? And I think – Well, they call it critic bait. I mean everyone – I mean we're living in a generation and a time of look at me, look at me, look at me. Right. So one way to do that if you're a chef and in the food world is to do kind of outrageous things. And uh, But very often I think it's a function of naivety right. rather than experience and coming at it from the other side, which right. is what the chef at uh, Alinea is doing. Right, right. Right. No, creativity with all the best intentions is, I think, the most brilliant thing that humans have. So that's what we're going to go um, to you to talk about, (laughs) because how did this very creative idea come up about the sheets? So they're icing. It's pastillage or some fondant um, and to match your clothes. And then do you make your clothes too? I sometimes make my clothes. Wow. Um, (laughs) I just, I think when you're creative, it just, it, it has no... Like there's, it's not restricted to any media. So if I am like, oh my gosh, I want to make this dress or this cake or this menu, I'll just do it. Um, So the sheets are a combination of different starches, sugar, water. So imagine a big vat of pancake batter laid out thin as paper. And then onto it, we screen print with food dye, different designs. So the majority of the designs that we make, I've created. So even the tartan um, pattern on your cookie, it looks like um, fabric, but in fact, I've painted it and then use that image to um, print on the cookie. But when we're working so you with add, fashion So this is brands, an original painting it by was, you. Well, yes. Originally it was. On the sheets that is on the cookie, right. also invented by you. Yeah. Well, I didn't invent the cookie. I wish I could claim that, but... A shortbread, just kind of a shortbread it's a cookie. It's cookie. Sugar cookie. I hope you'll munch on it at some point. Um, so anyway... I saw a similar product existed and I just thought about it. Like, why, why isn't there, you know, an edible wallpaper to apply to cakes and donuts? And I really wanted it to exist. And, and I consider myself a maximalist. So I love to match um, my a clothes. Maximalist. Um, oh, you know, I you love that. You have the maximalist and minimalist. I'm a maximalist. So the more <laughs> matchy, matchy, the better. Um, it just thrills me. 
and 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 my medium mostly is food so i didn't want to be limited you know to just clothes and and the normal stuff so um so chef nishi's launched in 2016 originally to oh, be i didn't sent. realize it was that recent because yeah. it has such a presence already oh, oh that's so nice of you to say no Very so cool. launched in 2016 and i thought the business would be mostly shipping um the sheets globally for people to make cakes and treats at home. Globally has a nice ring to it. Globally, well, it is not untrue. We in the last two weeks have shipped to Australia, New Mexico, Wisconsin, the Bronx, all over the place. Cool. Um, but the bigger business is working with different brands. So last night with Brooks Brothers, for example, to create treats to match their clothes and selling the whole treats rather than just the decorating kits. Wonderful. And oh, Brooks Brothers is men and women's clothes. Yes. Yes. Great. So men are going to be walking around with ties that look like your cookies. This well, is yes. really very exciting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what keeps you up at night thinking? What do you think about at night? New patterns, new businesses, new f- uh, food products? You know, I mean, my my work is very seasonal. So right now I'm in the thick of the holiday season. I have tons of catering um, business and treat orders and sheet orders and all sorts of things. And and what keeps me up at night, honestly, is just ensure, I'm thinking about how I can ensure that everything we deliver is really excellent. So, um, you know, that's what kept me up last night and the night before. <laughs> but in January, I'll probably, we know when, when the work is quieter, um, I'll probably be thinking about what's next and, and how to do that. And, um, and the and the steps to to make it happen. Well, t- take us on this journey with you. What was the very first thing you did, or the so, first product, or yeah? Um, so it all happened a bit organically. I and I and still to this day, I I operate just on um, or a lot on um, instinct. I, I think a lot of women do. Yeah, I think it's really important, and it gets you really far. Um, and, and if I had sat with a business plan, I don't think I would be where I am. Um, so I was working at a database software company and going to culinary school at night, 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Wow. That's and grueling. on the weekends, <laughs> and I, I thought I wanted to be a food blogger and, you know, post recipes um, to a blog and then and have that be the business. And so I started making a lot of food. And then I had leftover food. I asked myself, what am I going to do with this? Okay, I'll invite my friends over. Then um, my my tiny apartment at the time was full of art. And art oh, Because is, you're an art historian. You I, went to I studied for that. Art, art history and I love to paint. And I grew up in a house where, um, you know, a great emphasis was placed on food, but also on art. So um, my little shoebox apartment was full of art. And I had friends over and I told each friend to bring someone who wasn't previously invited. And the conversation turned to art. And so I started creating food inspired by art. So, you know, ravioli that looks like a painting or, you know, an ice cream sundae that is from another painting or, you know, um, creating a plate based on the color palette of a photograph. Um, and that turned into Victory Club, which is a roving supper club. Ah, that was the third thing I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, yes. Yeah. See, there's so many things. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love each and every one. Um, so well, as you said, club. creativity really does uh, kind of expand and fill all available space. But in, maybe you're not as 
I don't want to use the word scattered, but I, I see your career and you right now in three distinct uh, categories. Again, it's Tell the me. sheets, right. it's um, the, the lifestyle catering event, um, and then also the, the supper club or the dining club that I'm dying to know more about. Oh, do tell. So that those dinners turned into Victory Club, which is um, yeah. Where now, did the name come from? Interesting. Um, it Victory came Club from an Elizabeth Bishop poem. From a, so my online moniker for years um, was Folded Victory. And Elizabeth Bishop, in one of her poems called Questions of Travel, talks about folded sunsets, you know, sort of a quotidian moment every day. And the sun sort of folds into the horizon or you take a picture of a sunset, as we all do. And usually sunset pictures are um, in vain because you'd never fully capture um the beauty of a sunset in a photograph, but you can take that picture and fold it and put it in your pocket and save it. So this idea of folded sunsets was beautiful to me. And, you know, but sunsets, again, are a daily occurrence. You know, they happen <laughs> regularly. <laughs> I, I would say that's the most regular thing that that is. But um, I was interested in folded victories. So it was originally called the Folded Victory Supper Club, but contracted to Victory Club. And... um the most recent event – well, we, we just got back from Miami um, for Art Basel Art Fairs and Victory Club members had access to a bunch of events and fairs, um, you know, luncheons at artists' homes or in artist studios. We just did a tour of Lehman Mopin um, here in Chelsea, two of their galleries. So it's a nice way to bring people together over food and art, two of my great passions. And then in creating art-inspired food, I thought, okay, what's – What's a way I can bring this to someone else? And the sheet, the idea for the sheets was born. Wonderful. This is just fascinating because, Stephanie, I couldn't be having this particular conversation with anyone else. <laughs> Coming up, you'll hear what Stephanie has to say about food, feelings, and feminism. Darkness Here's a tip to share. Sometimes when I have spontaneous guests and don't have dessert prepared, and I want to make something special, I think, what can I do? I think everyone always has ice cream in their freezer. So what I do is actually make an ice cream sauce from ice cream. And then I make a fabulous dessert. The easiest thing to do if you want to make hot fudge is to take two thirds of a cup of vanilla ice cream and melt it on top of the stove in a small pan. When it's nice and hot, all you need to do is add six ounces of semi-sweet chocolate and stir and stir until it's melted. Then I add two tablespoons of Grand Marnier and cook one minute longer. That's it. Then I pour this hot, gorgeous fudge over a wine glass full of vanilla ice cream. That's all you need to do. You know, this is sounding so delicious. Let me go see how much ice cream I have in the freezer. I want to eat this right now. From my kitchen to yours. Give it a try and pass it along.
Stephanie, when you hear the phrase one woman kitchen, what comes up for you? What does that mean to you? When I hear the phrase one woman kitchen, I think of one woman and that's (laughs) my mother who to this day is the best cook I've ever met. I'd rather eat at home than at Jean-Georges or Alinea or Per Se or whatever because my mom's food is so delicious and um, perfectly seasoned and sweet and salty and has all these memories in it um, that is just, you know, can't be bought. It can't be found anywhere else. It's just so perfect. I'm feeling a lot of love here. What kinds of things? Was there particular cuisine or favorite dishes you had? So there were some standard dishes. So um, my family has Ashkenazic Jewish heritage. So um, every Friday night we had matzo ball soup. There was a lot of chicken schnitzel. There was a lot of kugel. Um, There were, you know, so many um, Ashkenazic Jewish dishes, but my mom also would make, um, she'd experiment. And she'd play and she would, you know, no one makes a better steak than my mom or... Which is um, not easy to do at home at all. Oh my gosh. She swears it's the cast iron pan. She's right. And she (laughs) has a really, really well seasoned cast iron pan. Um, So my mom made us dinner every single night. We had dinner as a family every night growing up. And um, she made every single meal by herself, one woman um, in the kitchen and... um, I think in that sort of scenario, you the the most important spice is love, and and she poured her heart into everything that we ate, and um, and I think that's why I have such special feelings around food. Um, I know that a lot of you know my peers in the culinary world, whenever they're asked who's the best cook, many of them say their mother, and it's so interesting how in so many people's homes, the mother is the one that cooks. I would, I, I, someone told me once it's 90% of kitchens are, are female, which is why it's so crazy that when you imagine a chef on, you know, a cartoon or, um, (laughs) on a TV show, it's usually a man who comes to mind. And, and this, it's crazy how, um, a woman in the home represents the cook, but in professional world, it's a man. Yes. Um, and only 20% of women represent the professional market as chefs today, right. which is also very, it's almost, you know, the exact inverse. But that's why it was so interesting for me to create this show and to work with older women and younger women and to really explore this idea because the world is changing so much. Most women have full-time jobs, and yet it is still their responsibility somehow. And maybe they want it, but I think there's an expectation that this is also their their role. And um, boys and girls, I think, both grow up with this very strong connection to their mothers and these one-woman kitchens or grandmothers sometimes. The first thing you eat, consume, is your mother's milk. And it's really, I think, a very beautiful thing that a woman is nourishing to her children. And and that extends, you know, beyond breastfeeding. That's, you know, making breakfast, lunch, you know, packing lunch for your kids, making dinner when they get home, um, making snacks for these soccer games and Hebrew school. And I think that's a really special, beautiful part of being a woman um, that I would, I feel very blessed to, to have as, you know, um, as a woman myself. Um, but where I take issue is, is the skewed representation of women in the professional field. 
Yes. And that's what we're really needing to work on. There's so much wage discrepancies still. Um, I forget the statistics now because they are changing and, and the news is getting better, but there are not that many women um, professional chefs running hotels and working for bigger corporations. Women tend to be more entrepreneurial and they won't um, necessarily gravitate towards a big, you know, macho kitchen. And that's why women do find their own ways in. You, for example, are a wonderful example. Women who are opening up their own kind of smaller restaurants uh, and think the economics work a little bit better. But you mentioned the word nourishing. And I think for women, this is this is not the first thing men would say, uh, why they cook. Right. And I think for women, very often, it is that's the word that comes up. I think so. And I mean, it's so honest. And um, that's a wonderful way for me to ask you about authenticity, because when we are trying to invent the wheel for ourselves and we're not stepping into roles of doctor and lawyer or banker, um, you know, like your mother, we have to really be our most authentic selves, right? We can't fake it because all we're doing is presenting ourselves. Right. I think you can't fake it. It won't. It's not sustainable. Um, And I think for your own self, it won't, you won't be as happy as you will be if you are fully yourself. Um, I found in my path that when I am most comfortably myself, I am the happiest and that radiates and people feel that. And it's also when I'm most successful in business. Wonderful. That's a great point. Do you think, um, I don't believe that you have had many issues in terms of, um, you know, not being treated well by men in the industry because you are really not so much in that environment. Right, but right. but what are your experiences? Have men been mostly helpful to you? Uh, what are your thoughts about feminism, Me Too? I don't know if any of these issues have really come up for you. They don't come up for everyone. So I worked only a limited time in restaurants while I was in college. I put my classes on two days of the week so I could work on the other days in restaurant kitchens. And then during culinary school and actually during my first job, you know, my corporate job, I worked in restaurants and bakeries. Um, I have fortunately not um, been a victim of the Me Too movement. Um, And in terms of feminism, everyone, this word encompasses so many different ideas And I think it really means something different for each person. For me, feminism is equality Mm. of opportunity. And I grew up with my respect, my mom so greatly. And she worked until I was around 10 years old because her philosophy was anyone can change a diaper. And she worked while my dad was writing his first book. She supported my dad. So, you know, after I was 10, she stayed home and she took care of us as a full-time mom. And if someone decides to do that, I respect that. When someone decides to go neck and neck with a man for a job, in my view, everyone should have an equal opportunity for equal compensation. And where there's not that opportunity, I take issue. Um, so feminism equals equality. That equality is equality of opportunity. Equality of opportunity. But, right. It doesn't mean every woman has to go and, you know, go for a certain role or do a certain thing. I, and again, my mother stayed at home. My grandmothers, both of my grandmothers stayed at home. And I respect these women. And, and I think the work of taking care of the home is so important. 
really so tremendously important. And and today I woke up and I was so excited to go to work and I love my work so, so much. I do not know how I'm going to feel when I'm a mom. And, um, and I think that for me, that's okay. And I respect, um, women's decision to, to work or, you know, to support a family, to work along with their husbands or to, you know, just, um, stay home. Stephanie, this is what's so great that I've noticed about your generation. You know, we come from, I think I'm probably more your mother's age, and that the show is also about intergenerational and sharing. Uh, again, for us, feminism meant something something else. So I think your definition is a result of how you how you grew up. But I really so believe in your generation and your ability to find a way to do it all. Um I can see, especially because you are so entrepreneurial and creative and that you can have a family and continue also to do many of the things that you do. And I think that's greatly due to technology. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if forever I'll, you know, be catering until two in the morning. (laughs) You know, my work has always been iterative. So maybe when I'm a mom, I emphasize more my blog or cookbooks or different aspects of what I'm currently doing, but allow me to be more flexible with my time. Right. And those opportunities were not there a long time ago. You really did work a very straight 60, 40, 60 hour week and And you did not have this kind of flexibility. The job title of influencer didn't exist. So to cook or blogger and the lead time to create a cookbook is so long. To do a blog post, it's just a day or two. So, um, you know, I find this to feel very optimistic, actually, Stephanie. I hope you do too. Yeah, I'm so excited about everything. I love today, I love tomorrow. I'm just happy. Coming up, you'll hear what it means to become a culinary brand. But first, there's cake. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at rosangold.com. Stephanie, you made me a cookie that matches your shawl, and I made you a cake that matches nothing. But I'm very eager for you to try it. I baked it this morning for you. Oh, my goodness. And I'm going to slice Roseanne, a slice. I am so excited to taste something you've created. It's my first time. Well, I think it's really exciting that you're here, and I wanted to... This is all about nourishment. This is what I do. This is my one-woman kitchen. So the first thing I'd like you to do is take a nice deep breath, which is what I think people do instinctively anyway, is to smell the the food, because we know that 80% of taste is smell. So what's coming up for you? Is there a particular fragrance, a lemon? I smell lemon. I smell spices. Sugar. I see sugar. Mm, that nice pearl sugar. Oh, can I taste it? I'm, yes. I can't resist. So, so your the first predominant smell for you was lemon. Lovely. And now you're going to taste it. Mm. <laughs> I like that. I like that sound. You know, the English language is actually very limited in how we describe what we eat. I actually teach a course in this at the new school called The Language of Food. And, um, you know, we just don't have that many words, right? Sour, salty, sweeter, sweet, bitter, umami. Uh, and everything else is is fragrance or smell. So how might you describe the taste of the cake? This well, is right where poetry comes texture. in. Texture. Texture. Good. So I'm getting the crunchy sugar. Great. Um, the cake is like a pound cake. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's dense. It's not very sweet. No. Because Even though it has this kind of coverlet of uh, these and sugar crystals on top. It's a bunt pan. You made it in a bunt pan. A little bunt pan. A round bunt pan. So when you see a bunt pan, you think it's going to taste very sweet. Ah, interesting. The it's expectation, anticipation. Yes. So I expected it to be sweeter than it was. Also, the color, it's a pale green. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be something with pistachios. Huh. I'm not getting pistachios. No. No nuts at all. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, Stephanie, since this cake is the only recipe that I never, ever share, that's why I call it the magical cake or the mystery cake or the secret cake, um, I just wanted to give you something that was really Thank important you. to me, which I consider my legacy recipe. You see, this cake was on the market for a long time, many, many years ago, and I kind of bequeathed the recipe to to this Zen Buddhist bakery that wow. used to make this cake for me. So, But it's a way of um, just sharing and giving you a gift. Thank you. You're very welcome. What is the spice on top? Mm, I'm not sure I can tell you. Okay. <laughs> I'll be satisfied because with we what have, I have every guest come in and uh, and guess. Right because also taste is a little bit in the I was going to say eye of the beholder, but the fact that you are such a knowledgeable baker, it's interesting what you brought to the table, literally, that you looked at the texture. You had an expectation because it was in a bunt pan. You asked very interesting questions that you got the lemon right away. So in a way, it's also telling your story, which is really cool. But I want you to tell your story a little further. Now I'm just so curious. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Good. I mean, also just because it is your recipe is insight into how you think. And what you value in baked goods. And so also true. I would think that it's a very wholesome um, set of ingredients that are not – I wouldn't, for example, not – I would say Roseanne Gold did not put food dye in this batter. Correct. You know, someone might say, I would, I would use food dye. Yes. But I know you enough to know that's one res- an ingredient I can just eliminate. So I'm just very curious now. And you also know that I'm a bit of a minimalist, even though you are the matchimalist, a new word for me. But Stephanie, I'm also interested to know who you might want to be sharing this cake with right now. Oh, my gosh. I think the first person who comes to mind is my grandfather. Mm. I think he would really enjoy this. He liked sweet, but not too sweet. And I think also, generationally, my generation has had access to so much more sugar and we have so much more processed food that our standard of what's sweet is much higher um, than previous generations. So I think my grandfather would really enjoy this cake. And what time of day would you serve it and what might you serve with it? I would serve green tea with this Mm. and um, around 4 (laughs) p.m. This is great. You know, because food... Uh, creates memories and associations for us. And they go way, way back. They're really profound. It turns out in our brain, the olfactory hub, you know, where we smell things, this is the Proustian moment, is very close to the area in our brain where memories are stored. So there's a lot of neuroscience around this. And it's fascinating. And I'm so glad that your grandfather is now here with us in the room. That's wonderful. What was his name? He's still alive. Uh, Good for you. We text, actually, the most interesting text exchange we had in the last two weeks was about Nutella. <laughs> he just discovered Nutella. I was going to say, I'm sure he didn't grow up with it. No. He found it on his own in the grocery store. 
and he's he can't believe how good it is. He was so excited he bought one for every grandkid and kid. Like he was so excited about this <laughs> um discovery and I thought it was the sweetest thing ever. But look at that. I mean really food is love. I mean, he found something that he loved and wanted to share it immediately. Yes. If not sooner. And text us about it too. <laughs> so he's a very cool, oh, very he's, hip grandfather. He's that's, perfect. That's really wonderful. Stephanie, I talk a lot about uh, the swoon factor in food and um what what makes you swoon? Are there certain ingredients or cuisines or ideas right now that are kind of lighting up your taste buds? I really take pause when I see something and I'm not sure how it's done. Mm -hmm. So I went to culinary school. I've worked in restaurants and I worked in food for over four years. And, you know, simple things I can sort of figure out a salad. I know what's in there or, you know, a simple chicken dish. Um, when I see, and more often sweets, just because that, for that whatever reason. That seems to be reason, what you do mostly. That's what I'm really tr most attracted to. Um, you know, for example, I just had a dish at um, one of Daniel Bulu's restaurants, and um, it had these dehydrated um, slices of orange. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how they could get the oranges the way that they were. And we asked, the, and it was super late at night, we asked the um, restaurant manager, and she really had no idea. But it's been something that I've just been thinking about since we uh, had that dessert. Um, and what makes me swoon is really what makes me think. Oh. And also looks beautiful. <laughs> That's so great. These are wonderful sound bites about feminism and what makes you swoon is what makes you think and what looks beautiful. Mm. You know what made me swoon many, many years ago when I was so young? Went to a restaurant in France. It was Trois yeah, and it was such a simple idea, but it changed my life, and it also changed my thinking. So I really love what you just said. It was an apple tart, simple apple tart on puff pastry, slices of you know beautiful apple, kind of glazed, and in the middle of it was a little bit of an apple compote with fresh tarragon. Beautiful. And I said, "That's it." But this was in in the late 1970s, so this was the idea of coupling herbs and in in dessert or herbs and. Uh, a fruit. Yeah. Uh, of course, that is really very current, right. you know, currency right now. But I just remember how that idea, simple idea, just yeah. changed my thinking, thinking yeah. about food. So are you the well, kind of person? So back to that. Yes, please. Um, I, I studied art history, and I consider food a, a great art. Um, and I always struggle to think about uh, the definition of art especially nowadays when you go to a museum and you say, oh my gosh, I could do that. It's just a blank red canvas or, you know, um, shattered glass or something. You know, any, everyone feels like they're able to do art. Um, and, and as you'll learn when you understand the, um, the ideas behind contemporary art, is it's really more about the idea than about the piece itself. The best definition of art I've ever read was art is intended to please and instruct. Wow. So when I experience something like the clear pumpkin pie at Alinea, you know, that makes me think and it instructs me about ways to think about my craft, but it also pleases. So when I think about um, what is as a swoon factor, I think, what is, what am I learning from? What is making me think? And what is delicious. Wonderful. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there. Um, 
And we got we were talking a little bit though about maybe chefs are pushing that a little bit too much. My feeling about that anyone can do certain kinds of art when they see you know a blank canvas or you know a red canvas. I feel that way a little bit about food criticism, that everyone who just goes out to eat, and your generation in particular right. goes out to eat so much, and it's like food obsessed in right. some very positive ways. But that just because people eat doesn't mean they can reliably right. critique food. Because yeah. like art, there are standards, there are uh, benchmarks, there's a uh, best of show, right. there's real creativity. And I just encourage people who love food to know that there really is a very valuable history and and right. standards. Right. Uh, and you have to understand the rules in order to go and, right. you know, um, be creative and inventive. Um, what concerns you these days or are there some insecurities you have about the world or your work or your place as a culinary brand and personal brand? So as um – as I grow my brand, which is intended to help people cooking at home as a woman, um, someone, a, a journalist I was speaking to a couple of months asked me, a, a journalist I was speaking to a couple of months asked me, what am I doing to advance a woman's role in society? Mm. You know, as positioning, it's very old fashioned to say a woman's place is in the kitchen. And I'm not day-to-day -day wearing a white chef coat. I'm not working in a Michelin-starred restaurant. I'm more advancing that old-fashioned philosophy. Hmm. Not because, not for any deliberate reason, except that I'm so passionate about being in the kitchen. So I don't know if it's incumbent on me to um, advance um, a woman's role in society because I do what I love and and a woman doing that um, is currently seen as um, old-fashioned. Well, it's a very provocative question. So you can take it as a compliment, too, that this woman obviously felt that maybe this was a responsibility that you could take on. Uh, and yet at the same time, it really isn't your or anyone else's responsibility in particular. But um, but I do ask myself, yes, and 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 this question, for better or worse, made me very self aware, even more self aware. Um, I do ask myself how I can advance a woman's role in society. Uh, but I I love what I do so much I couldn't ever imagine not doing it in the way that I am. Well, you're helping women then really explore what's their passion right. and to pursue it, but to pursue it in a very deliberate, systematic, working hard way. And also... And being responsible and completely on your own. But I mean, also, you did this by yourself. It's, I fully have a business. Like my first year, I started my business on my savings. My first year, I made X in revenue. Three years later, 20X. This is a real business. Every year, we do more volume than the year before. And um, I don't think 50 years ago, a woman would have been able to so independently run a business, whether it's in technology or beauty or in food. I absolutely agree. And bravo to you. My take on what you're bringing to the world right now is uh, beauty, whimsy, style, and grace. 
thank, thank you, you so much for being with me today. Thank you. You're amazing. And Stephanie, how can people connect with you and learn all about uh, your business and the, the sheets and the supper club and everything you're doing? You can find me at Stephanie.com or on social media at Stephanie Nass. Thank you. Thank you. Each of us in our own way is a one woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.